What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Verzi Effect podcast show. My name is Paul Verzi, and today is, what is it? It's Wednesday, the 20th of May, uh, 2020, and you guys listening to episode 448, and my guest today, uh, been on the show, actually, uh, when I was out in Los Angeles a couple months ago, I was on his amazing podcast, the Monday Morning Podcast, one of my best friends in the world, uh, the comedian that you know and love, the man, the myth, the legend, and two-time, not one-time, two-time winner of the Jimmy, Jimmy the Greek Award, which is basically me and Bill betting on football games two years in a row, and he beat me, the one and only Bill Burr. What's up, Bill? <laughs> we had fun with that gamble. We had the... Uh... My favorite thing about doing that, so for the people that don't know, Bill and I would get the newspaper, we would look at the spreads together, and we each had to pick four games against the spread and I always went with the favorite and he always went with the dog but there were times you'd call up and you'd go two times he did this so pissed at a call you'd go you know what fuck it I'm just sending you a hundred bucks this fucking call and then he would still win the week (laughs) my temperament is why I never became a gambler oh I, I I like my paranoia my temper, like you can't be a paranoid lunatic and oh. start gambling. You'll think everything is fixed and you're going to, you're going to have an ulcer by game eight of the oh, season. Some of the voicemails I got from you. I'm just, you know what? I'm done with the game. And I'm like, dude, you're beating me by three games. <laughs> well, you- because the competitive thing, I want to be right. And then also when we were doing that was when the game was changing so much. Yeah. Um, they wanted what to open up that? 14. Were we doing that like 13, 14, something like that. But like in the two thousands was the Jim Mersey, Peyton Manning, you know, every year they, it just seemed every year they'd lose in the playoffs. And then there'd be a new rule change that kept tipping the scale in the favor of the Colts. Yeah. Which is hilarious. Cause they're sitting there saying, you know, and Ursay was sitting on the competition committee like the conflict of interest was ridiculous. And um, I, I, I don't know. There was something about that decade of football that bothered me. I, I realized how old I was. And then when they opened the game up, and then every year everybody was doing what Dan Marino did in 1984. Yeah. Back when you could totally abuse a QB and, and wide receivers and all of that stuff. Um. And the, and the way that the announcers would, would talk about people throwing for over 5,000 yards and bring up Dan Marino and not even remotely address the fact of how much the game had changed. You know, that's my thing. I'm not saying all those, all those guys that threw 5,000 yards weren't great quarterbacks or anything, but, like, throwing 5,000 yards in, in 1984 was, was – I mean, it was practically – it was it, other than Dan Marino, it was impossible. And then all of a sudden – they make all these rule changes and there's like three guys were on pace. I remember in like 2009 or 2008 were all on pace um, to, uh, to break the record. And I've been watching a bunch of old football too from the 1950s. You'd be surprised how much they threw the ball and stuff. They really try to make it seem like all they did was run the ball. It's not, it's not how it was. No, uh, I saw, my God, I forgot the guy's name. I saw this wide receiver in the 50s, and he was like one of the guys, they were showing him. He was making like layout catches, and he was, and it was when the goalpost was in the front of the end zone. Dude, it was at the front of the end zone until like uh, 1972 or three. Uh, Yeah. 
For a yeah, while it was. I got to fight. They, they did this whole special. I want to talk about the pace of things. So think about this. I have a theory. Baseball juices the balls. The NBA is nothing like this last dance we're watching with the, with the Pistons defense and the way that Jordan would get hand-checked. The NFL, these guys are, they're, you know, like you said, Dan Marino could have thrown for 6,000 yards. But I also look at it in life. Now, everything is on here. Somebody told me in 10 years, no, TV's not going to matter because everything's going to be on here. And I'm like, no, it's not. And it is. And it is. It and isn't, it, dude. It, you still, if you're going to have that, you're going to sit there. What's better, watching it on your TV or watching it on this fucking thing? This is nice I, if you're sitting at a bus stop. But you're I like telling me that everybody's going to have their iPhone taped to their fucking wall? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, don't, I like the TV better, dude. I like the TV fucking better. But I think everybody's going to have it. TV's just going to, like, TV and the computer will, will become one, um, which you know they can already do, but they got to make 40 versions of it so everybody can keep up with the Joneses. That's one of the smartest things I ever did. When flat screen TVs first came out, all my dumb friends, you know, when they were like as thick as a phone book and they were like six grand. When they first came out, they were like 13 grand. When they came down to about four grand, all my dumb friends went out and bought them. And then they started giving me shit. You still, I, 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 like Keith Robinson, hey, you probably still got one of them square TVs, don't you? I go, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I bought it like 10 years ago and I'm going to watch that. Yeah. And as these flat screen TVs come down to like 700 bucks. Oh my God. Th then I'll buy the thing and it's going to be better than your $4,000 one that's as thick as my fucking head. I called that. There you go. Dude, I bought a fucking 40-inch flat screen the other day. It was like 130 bucks. <laughs> what? It was nothing. Yeah, they're nothing now. They're literally, they're so cheap now. Yeah, I just wish there was somebody that could, like, repair them. And, like, you could just keep them for a long time. Yeah, yeah. At some point, I mean, there's so many things that need to be addressed. But the designed obsolescence combined with global warming, it's, something's got to give here, man. We got to go back to repairmen. Dude, you know when I was a kid, dude, when you, they, you'd buy a TV. First of all, it was like a 1,000 fucking pounds. And they just had, there was just a tube in the back of it. As long as you didn't throw a brick through the screen. Dude. Every like seven, eight years, some old guy would come over with his blue dickies outfit. <laughs> And he would just replace the tube in the back. And then you'd, you'd have it. And like people kept TVs for like 25, 30 years. People don't even keep them for 30 months anymore. Dude, when Stacy and I were dating, she lived in Jersey City. I can't believe she lived in this. She lived in a terrible neighborhood in Jersey City, dude. And uh, I was like, your parents let you fucking live here. <laughs> like it was, but she took the path train to the city. And I helped her move. And we took, me and my older brother took her TV Bill, it took everything we had to get this thing down the stairs. It was it was so ridiculously big and heavy. So when you just said a thousand pounds, it was like the fact that one of us didn't break our back or drop the TV down the stairs is a miracle. That's well, the thing, yeah, those flat screen TVs, they're, they're also huge. But like the uh, the ones I'm talking about, dude, these things used to be made out of like if you had money and you bought a nice TV. I mean, dude, the whole the thing that the TV sat in was made out of like mahogany. Yeah. It was like redwood tree or some shit. I mean, it, like, it was a piece of furniture. Yeah. And it had, like, 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 some of them that were really expensive. They had all these ornate designs, like, wood carved into it and shit. This was the TV. <laughs> and you bought this fucking thing, and you just, you just had it. 
until yeah. like, I don't know what, till the tube started to go. And then some guy would come by and he would, he would fix the, uh, he would fix the tube for you and you were good to go for like another, I don't know. I forget how long it, it, it would last. Are you uh, are you, cause we never talked about this on the road, maybe a little bit, but you're definitely more of an antique guy than, than I am. But are you like an antique guy? Like, will you go into an antique store? Does that shit interest you or no? No, I hate the smell of those places. It's, it's fucking gross. And it's just, you feel like everything somebody died on or something was in a murder. So I, I am a, uh, I am a pause the video game guy. So okay. like if, if technology, like right around 1995, I thought it was fine. We could have stopped there. The big square TVs, 27 inch TV was fine. I mean, now that you got the giant flat screen TV, like, oh, this thing sucks. But that thing was fine to look at. It was, everything was fine. Cars were fine. You know, yeah. there's airbags and shit. Cured enough diseases. I think right, right around 95, we just fucking stopped with this insanity of, um, I mean, the fact that Apple, the, the way that they, they have their tablet and then they have their laptop and there's, there's no like, you know, it's like, you know that they have the technology to make the, the, the tablet do what the laptop does. But if they did that, then you won't do. So then they give you the tablet and there's nothing you can fucking plug into. It and they just like to just sit. They just sit there. Yeah. As the earth is starting to catch on fire once a year. Right. And it's like. And the oceans are fucking rising and all of this shit. And they're sitting there. Yeah. Trying to come up with ways to make more shit be thrown into the fucking ocean. They're just a fucking reprehensible company. And what kills me about it is like, once you go in, it's like the mob. You can't get out. Like I, I can't stand them. And I, I, I just try to hang onto their phones as long as I can, because I try to look at other people's phones. It's like the mob. swipe text and all of that shit. I'm just like, I mean, that's like you're speaking a different language. I don't even know what it is. So, Dude, I bought this. I'm I a hypocrite, got, basically. I just got this 11 and the guy goes, hey, just so you know, best battery on any of them. Out of all of them, it's the best battery. It's going to go longer. <laughs> like, yeah, well, it was a thousand bucks. So, you know, I'm expecting that. It should be fucking more than anything because the seven. Yeah, and it's not going to be worth shit in like 18 months. And then you're going to turn it in. And then they're going to, you know, they're going to do a little fixy fixy on it. And then they send it to like a, a, a whatever you're supposed to say, not a third world country, a new world. Is that what you're supposed to say? I'm going to get in trouble here, Paul. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a new world country and then they're gonna then they're gonna sell it to some poor kid there and fuck him over they're just gonna keep the fuck over going so i am not an antique guy i like old cars and shit like that that's why i like old cars there's a couple of things that i have i have a uh one of those ronson uh matchstick lighters i went on this real humphrey bow i like old movies and shit so i saw humphrey bogart lit this match and um and I was like, what the fuck is that thing? So I got one of those and I found this guy in Michigan to repair it. I think it needs lighter fluid because it hasn't been working. You remember, you were out here. I, I lit a cigar with it one time. You're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, like yeah. Metal stick with some, uh, like, like there's some little bit of flint. And then there's this little wick thing that just rests in the, in the, in the fluid. I remember you pulled that out and you started doing that. And I was going, I was like, I never saw that before. That was wild. That was crazy. Yeah, and there's some pretty... Uh, really creative ones of those like i remember my dad used to have a bank that was a pitcher a catcher and a hitter and you put the the coin in and you'd wind back the hand and it would throw it and it would hit the the, 
the catcher's chest protector and the chest protector would go back like that and the coin would go down and then come and the, the guy would swing. It was really wild. Well, that's like, cool. You know, I mean, it's nothing compared to an iPhone though. Um, so yeah, I have an appreciation for uh, like, you know, I like an old bar. I like old houses. Yeah, I like yeah. shit like that. But as far as buying old shit that people had, I, it gets, it creeps me out a little bit. You get a kick out of this. Lucas said to me the other day, he goes, dad, let's get that. What, let's just get that house. He said something. He goes, and let's just make all of it in, inside modern. And I go, oh, this is my son. <laughs> it says, this is my, cause I like that. I don't know why I like new, clean, white, you know, white. I don't know why it's weird. I love Greek, Italian. Yeah. That's yeah. you got, that's your guy's shit. <laughs> yeah. There's been a zillion Italian comedians talk about the all white room that nobody can go into that has the covers over it. It's like, yeah, I never what, had what that. it is, is. What it is is your guy's skin tone looks great against that pure white. See me, I get lost in it. You just see like an orange beard floating around in the middle oh, of the car going, yeah. what the fuck is that? It's a very complimentary color to people with olive skin. That's so fucking fun. It's so true. Dude, it's true. Like if I see like, when I saw Jordan, oh, I got to tell you a great story. I lived on um, 63rd and 2nd and Stacy was over and we lived in a building that a famous boxing promoter lived in. So Denzel, when he was doing the hurricane movie about Reuben Carter. Like, That's my I, favorite Denzel movie. I, I walk in and like Denzel is talking to my doorman and the doorman Denzel goes, it's all right. He knows, he knows. And he just gets in the elevator and I'm in the fucking elevator with him. It was nuts. And one day we're walking in and fucking Wesley Snipes, who is black. I mean, he was like Bernie Mac, rest his soul black. He had a white, a bright white velour suit on and this like white fisherman hat. And he walked out and I never forget my wife and I, but Stacy was like, it, it looked so good. It looked so fucking, it looked it, it, like Jordan. Jordan's a really black dude. If Jordan wears white, you're like, oh God, you know? That yeah, pops, the white pops. If I wear it, I look, I look fucking, I mean, I look horrific in general, but like <laughs> I, I wash out in white. You, you in an all white velour suit would be fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That would actually be what you needed to do. Get me a day on the beach. I actually look, I got some color today. I think it's this light. Oh. Um, if I was sunburned and I was all red and I was in the, on an all white thing, dude, I would, it would be, people would just look at me and be like, it'd be off. <laughs> all right. I got three for you, three for you. And I don't mean to put you on the spot. Gun to your fucking head. You could remake any car. And it'll be your car. You could redo a classic and you could have it, but that's the only car, the only classic car you could ever have redone. That one, only one movie you could watch and one meal you could have. What would they be? I, I think I know well, this, the car. This, this changes by the week, but I would get a 67 Cadillac Eldorado in that, um, that sort of, that blue that they had. It was like a blue silver. Nice. With all the toys, Pauly. Oh, you like a caddy. You like a Cadillac. I love a caddy. You do. Um, what was the next thing? One movie? One movie. Oh, man. Old or, old or new, but that's the one you're watching on a loop. <laughs> it is a tough one. One fucking movie. Um, well, I have all my ones that I love, but I feel like I, 
I mean, I've watched Goodfellas a million times. I've watched The Godfathers a million times. Um, you said you like Bogart, right? Love Humphrey Bogart. I like all of those guys. I, I, I would probably pick one like a, The Dirty Dozen or The Magnificent Seven where it has a handful of my favorite actors. Because I grew up watching Bronson, Clint Eastwood, uh, Lee Marvin, Telly Savalas. Um, Steve McQueen? Uh, yeah, Steve McQueen, Paul Newman. McQueen and Newman, I, I, I kind of got into later in life. But when I was a kid, I used to watch like Kelly's Heroes, Bridge Over the River Kwai. Once a year, they'd come to the 8 o'clock movie, um, The Magnificent Seven, um, all the spaghetti western that Clint did. Huge Clint Eastwood fan. I liked his cowboy movies. I liked, you know, the, the Dirty Harry shit, but I, I, I like the... Um, I like I like the spaghetti western. So I guess if I had to do one, I would maybe watch. Uh, I also really like the score. Maybe like Magnificent Seven or something like that, because that's that's just it's got a lot of guys in it. Um, isn't Robert Vaughn in that too? There's a lot of I, I really liked those guys back then. Were just like they were such guys, guys, and like like Lee Marvin fought in World War II, and he was one of two guys that survived in his platoon. So when he was playing in an army movie, like this guy like did that shit as to, as opposed to today where people, you know, they crossfit and they get fucking abs and then they grow some scruff and then say that they're a fucking soldier. Like these guys, like, yeah. you know, I mean, there's stories of some of those guys getting hammered and punching cops and shit on Sunset Boulevard back in the day. I mean, these guys were, um, how weird must that be? to be in war where you're watching your platoon die. Literally, you're watching these guys die and blow up, and then you're on a set, and, and they're trying to duplicate it. And you're like, no, dude, it didn't fucking happen like that. Right? Like, I, would, I mean, the, the way that they just, uh, they just had you pave over feelings back then. Like, I remember when I watched, I watched Ken Burns' The War. This thing on uh, World War II was amazing. And um, when guys would come back after being on the battlefield and seeing all that horrific stuff and they would snap the expression that generation used was he couldn't, sh he couldn't shake it. He couldn't shake off the war. Cause that yeah. was the thing. It was like, it seemed back then people didn't want, I don't want to, don't talk about it. Shake it off. Come on, man. It's over. And like, so you didn't deal with it. And then you just sort of just lashed out at people and shit. Well, yeah, it's, we'll get, we'll get to your meal in a second. But my, I noticed that, um, I'll get to the meal right now. Chicken parm. Oh, there you go. Look at you, dude. Cadillac, chicken parm. I've always said this. Bill Burr, <laughs> I've always said it. This is, Bill is the most Italian, non-Italian. We've been on the road. This guy likes the mob movies. He likes the food. Dude, me and Barton. The thing is, Paul, you don't give German-Irish guys enough credit. Dude, I like schnitzel, dude. I like yeah. schnitzel. I do. I do. Good I mean, food we is good food. And, and, and you know. The Irish aren't exactly, uh, and the Germans, it's not like they haven't tried to mob up here or there during history. Yeah. No, it's that's true. Movie. No, but you, uh, I remember when me and Bartnick introduced you to a garlic-filled olive. <laughs> <Fucking> oh. <laughs> you kept going. I still buy him. Oh, uh, yeah. He, we, him. we got him in Little Italy, and Bill would keep going in the refrigerator. We're like, you know what? Leave him for him. Because we were like, we just liked how much you liked it. Um, oh, yeah. 
No, three. Three's the magic number with those. You go any more than that, it's you, you, you did too much. But one, and they're like Doritos. You can't stop eating them. So what I do when I have them here in the house is I put them on a plate, and I, I got to walk into the TV room. So, you know, I don't want to yeah. get up and go back. I can't bring the jar in. I'll finish it. See, I'm like that. I'm like that with like sharp provolone or cheese. Like I can't, that's my thing. I just keep eating it. Um, you just said something though about like, uh, just w paving over feelings or like walk it off. Like my grandparents in the fifties, like, my, like if one of, if, if a family member drank, my grandmother would go, no, he didn't drink. And everybody knew the guy, everybody knew he drank. Like he drank and she, no. No, it's fine. Everything's fine. There was never a problem in the family. There was like never turmoil where now it's like this piece of shit, you know what? He should one more chance and he's out of here. That wasn't the case. Yeah, there was no interventions back then. There was no intervention. <laughs> no. no. You, didn't, you didn't intervene. You mind your business. <laughs> well, well you, grew, you grew up like with, is that German Irish thing is like the, the deal with it, right? The deal with it? Yeah, uh, German people and Irish people, I believe, were, were considered very stoic people, um, generally speaking. There's a, uh, there's a coldness to us. <laughs> um, and I am a uh, sort of a stereotype where I just like, like my wife, she doesn't get like, Remember that shit where you were saying like you had an Irish friend of yours and he could drink till four in the morning and just wake up a couple yeah. hours later, go work. Yeah. Not have a hangover. He does have a hangover. It's <laughs> just, he's so used to ignoring what he's feeling because no one cares in his immediate family or yeah. wants to hear about it, that yeah. it just becomes part of your, your day. So like today, you know, I've been trying to sell this script and stuff and I was doing all these comfort calls and then, you know, I cleaned the whole house, did all the bathrooms, had the grout thing, went to the hardware store, did the laundry, folded everything up. You know, my wife's having a kid here in the next couple of weeks here. So like, don't think my wife's lazy or anything. It's just, I have to pick up the slack. Yeah. Vacuumed the whole house, still got everything that I needed to get done. Still played drums for 45 minutes today. Still squeezed that in and made everybody dinner. Dude. And she was going, uh, I forget what she said, but it always strikes me as funny when, oh man, I can't believe he just blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's not really that big a deal because it'd be a big a deal if you did it, Paul, it's a big deal because you're in touch with your feelings. I'm not. So for me, it's just, I know this needs to be done. So I just go into robot mode. Yeah, like, like my back is fucking killing me. You <laughs> doing those washing out all the fucking bathtubs and that shit like and you know my like I I didn't stretch I mean oh I'm old man I can't fucking do that shit my back's killing me and of course she goes are you all right you should probably sit down I was like no nah, I'm fine my back was screaming at me I, and I remember vacuuming it just struck me as funny like why do I always say that so you you like so you're hiding like not hiding feelings but that you because I noticed that about you you're a go. You're like you and my wife have this thing and she's got that. She's German, Irish, Scandinavian. She's got that. Like, I mean, a big problem with me and her. When Paul, we, we play hurt. No, no. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're one of those guys. Every five seconds, ah, you're in the locker room. They're rubbing you down in the game. I'll play in sports. I'll play. But yeah. Um, 
But one thing that Stacy's family, and I, they'll probably hear this. I don't, I don't care. But one thing that Stacy and I argued with one time was um, her family wasn't really good at hello and goodbyes. Like, and, and I didn't, I would ask her about that. I would go like, we fucking walked in and like, there was no like, hey, how you, you know? And, and she like, was like, uh, you know, and I didn't like that. It's like, cause I grew up where it's like, hey, how you doing? Get over here, you fuck. Like that, that's part of what I like. I like the get in here. We're going to drink all day. That type of thing. Where th with them, it was just like, it took like a second to warm up to get the hello. And it fucking bugged me. Yeah, I mean, it's just a different, uh, yeah, you guys, hey, fucking Paul, he's here. We're all, we're just sitting over there like, what's up? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, here in the fridge. This guy pissed at me? Yeah, fucking yeah. Fucking two to two. <laughs> We'll give you a score. <laughs> you, you made me that one time. Uh, Stacy and I stayed with you back in the day, and we would hear dishes and pots and pans at like eight forty-five. And Stacy sat up and she goes, "Are you gonna, are you gonna go help him?" And I was just like, I, I was like, you know, we, we were. I was like, we drank until two. <laughs> we smoked cigars until two. Like we're on the, we're on his deck. Yeah, I know. I I've had a number of. Guys like you have stayed at my house, and after a couple of days, they go, dude, can you tone it down, man? I, I was literally going like, he's got to tone I'm looking like an asshole right now. And then you get up, and Bill's got, like, the kitchen clean, and he's got, like, you had scrambled eggs. No, you had eggs over medium, which I fucking asked for. Uh, it was, you were like a host of all. But, um, yeah, you're a guy that you don't like putting your feet up. <laughs> no, I don't know how to do that. And then also, I'm a very difficult person to live with. So I have to make it up in other areas. Here's okay. the deal, Paul. If I did what you did around the house and was still wired like me, I'd be divorced. <laughs> I got to tell you, I got to tell you, listeners, this. The oh. amount of times oh. I've been over your house and I've watched you do something or say something, and I'll just look out of the corner of my eye and be like, Stace is going to take a pan and smash it over his head. And he has no clue. That's oh. the funniest thing about Paul is he doesn't even know that he's irritating his wife. It's the and it, and I'm telling you, he's like Ralph Cramden. Oh. Like you were you were literally born in in the wrong era. Wait, what was the thing she brought out? Didn't she bring something out of the oven? Dude, I went over your house for Fourth of July. She came over and she made something. The the amount of effort. I don't I forget what it was. And the, you put it in your mouth and you said, you said something that criticized the food. I don't, I don't care for these. <laughs> yeah, this thing isn't, you said it isn't, it isn't blah, blah, blah. No. And I was like, <laughs> so I just had to make a comedy routine out of it. I'm like, Paul, you out of your fucking, you realize what a saint you married that she just didn't dump this over your head? Yeah. No, yeah. That <laughs> yeah, that was my bad. You're funny. You don't. You're so like open with your emotions that you say, you talk before you think in those yeah. situations. Like every one time, one time, just for your listeners, I'm on the phone with this, this knucklehead and he's sitting there on the phone and because he's on the phone, he, he just gets into the phone world. He forgets who's walking by and Stace was walking by and you're like, oh yeah, man, I smoked like three cigars like two days in a row. And then I just hear this, Paul! <laughs> Oh, dude, I don't know if I ever, I, I got to tell the story. I think you told this story before, but. Oh, I told it on the podcast? Okay. Well, now that you got new listeners, you got to you tell it. The, the, the short of it is, Stacy was giving me shit for smoking too many cigars. And at the time I was, I was going two, three a day. 
and I had to tone it down and I'm downstairs talking to Bill and I whisper, I kind of tried to whisper. Yeah, I smoked. No, you didn't. Oh, I said it loud? You didn't say it loud. You just said it in a normal speaking voice. And you know them. They're, they're like, you know, this, that fucking, what's that computer? Is Alice? What's the name of the? Oh. <laughs> Alexis, right? <laughs> fucking Alice. Dude, you're like me with names the way I am with the, what's it called? The, the sayings. Um, no, I'm all right with names. I just don't give a shit about tech. I'm not going to bug my own fucking house. I already have a flat screen TV. Isn't that enough that some fucking, uh, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, no, the dude, you called him to watch me bang my wife if he wants to. You called Mariano Rivera, Manny Rivera, and you called the movie with Marissa Tomei and Joe Pesci, Uncle Vinny's, <laughs> which is a oh, common. I'm, I'm, not go- I'm not good with, uh, I'm not good with names of movies. <laughs> I can never remember the names. He's got to do one time. I was like, dude, who's Manny Rivera? I'm, I'm a bad Yankee fan. Um, so I say to Bill, I go, dude, I had fucking three sticks like yesterday. And Stacy was on. So you just hear Stacy go, what, Paul? And like, we had the discussion. So I'm like, dude, I'm in for a world of shit right now. You know anything? And Bill goes, dude, here's what you do. You're going to go upstairs. You're going to say, you're right. I'm sorry. And all this stuff. And I'm like, I need to work on it. I need to I work. Said on I was going to cut down and I didn't. This isn't fair to you with the kids. <laughs> yeah. The whole deal. Like, you're not going to raise your voice if she yells at you. Don't go to her energy level. Just tell her she's right. She has the right to be mad. Yeah, he was literally like in my corner in between rounds and told me how to go out and win the next one. <laughs> I go into the, Lucas's room and she's cleaning it like frantically. She's grabbing stuff, this and that. And I go, hey, listen, you know what? I thought about what you said. I'm sorry. I'm smoking too many cigars. You're right. I shouldn't have hid it from you. And she just tilts her head. <laughs> she just tilts her head and looks at me. And she goes... Bill just fucking told you to come up here and do that. And I put this awful lie smirk on my face and I go, no. And she just bursted out laughing and she's like, <laughs> yes, he did. But uh, you got me, you got me out of that one. And the one, the one you really got me out of was when we got hammered at a Ranger game and you go, Verzi, I'm not letting you drive. I'm just not letting you drive. I go, dude, you don't understand. I'll be all right. Just give me some water, something to eat. You gotta lay down. <laughs> Dude, I woke up four hours later to a phone call. You're, where are you? The kid's got to go on the bus. And I'm going, oh, my God. And you were like, stay. But he's, you, you literally saved my life that night. <laughs> literally. Oh, yes. I called. Yeah, Stace, go easy on him. I kept him out till all hours. Yeah, we got home at like 3.34 in the morning. Yeah. And I go, just go to sleep and wait a couple hours, you know, till you yeah. reasonably, you know, can walk around without falling over some shit. And then we both just passed out. And then all of a sudden I heard you go, I just heard you in the room just go, what? Because you were looking at a text because your phone vibrated or something. Oh, oh fuck. And then oh, I, heard, I, heard the, I heard your half of the phone call. Oh. No, no, I'm at Bill's. I'm, we, I just laid down for a sec. I'm going to be I, it, yeah. like that quick. I was like, oh. You just saying that is giving me anxiety. But you telling her like, hey, man, I, he made the right decision, took mustard off a fastball. Um, Dude, how funny is being married? I got a buddy today going, listen, I can't do it. She's yelling at me. And it was almost as if my high school friend was saying to me, I can't go out and ride bikes or play basketball. He just said, listen, she's yelling at me. I can't do it. You know how it is, right? And I'm going like, yeah. Yeah, that never goes the other way. Like your (laughs) wife's never on the phone. Yeah, he's yelling at me. I can't do it. They'd have a fucking intervention. They'd film it. They'd put it on social media. And then you'd come off like a fucking wife beater. 
Remember that joke you told me I should do when Stacy was like, when I, she's like, I'm going to my mom's. And I go, I can't just say that about my dad. <laughs> like, I can't just, or like, I can't just like, she, like I have a thing. Women always got to go to their mothers. Like, you know what? I'm just going to them. You know, I'm going to, but I could never be like, I'm going to my dad's. I'm going to talk to my dad. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're just, they're, we're wired differently. What are you going to do? Dude, my life's going to be nuts here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, dude. So congratulations on number two coming. Um, you know, listen, I mean, here's advice I could give. It's that um, it's going to get crazy. I mean, one is one. And I mean, what did I say? One is one and two is a million. We did experience it that. But here's the thing, dude. You got a chill daughter. So this is either going to be the opposite or the, yeah. or then you, you, you or then, you know, maybe you hit the bullseye twice. Who knows? Well, I, it's it's. Um... You know, it's just a weird, obviously, with the shit that's going on, it's just a weird. Yeah. I mean, if it was normal everyday life, you know, I would have the usual anxiety. You know, you just want everybody to be okay and, you know, you, whatever. You don't want to, you want to pass on your good stuff and try to work on the bad shit. And, 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 um, I don't know, dude. I have no idea, but, uh, the suspense is killing me. So I'm trying to, uh, Make sure I get plenty of shut eye. I look a little tired right now, but that's because I worked all day. But um. so we got a couple more, only a couple more minutes on here. But I wanted to talk to you about a, a memory that I have with you. There's a couple of memories I have with you on the road, and it's kind of bittersweet because we don't work together that much anymore. But we're always going to do the football game. But it just had me thinking after all of these years and, and a friendship now of going on like 15 years. There's a couple of memories that I wanted to just walk down with you, which I thought was so fucking funny. We're walking in Charleston, South Carolina together down the street and it's hot out. And I had flip-flops, Jordan shorts, and an, and an Eli and an Eli shirt. And I remember I bought, that. I bought Prosciutto and I bought all kinds of shit and I had them in a paper. It looked like I got transplanted from the Bronx into the middle it of- like you were in My Cousin Vinny. Everybody was looking at you like you were some fucking bookie that was setting up shop down there or you were in the witness protection program. And at one point you just stopped and looked at me in the street and you just bursted out laughing. And you were like, this is, you were like, you're wearing a fucking Eli nose shirt, which is so fucking ridiculous. Um, well, that's what the, the funniest thing about you New Yorkers are is you guys live in this giant city, but you're so like, you have such a small town mentality. Like, like, yeah, everybody like, uh, I don't know. They whenever they do like the townie guy who's wearing his fucking football jacket from high school and can't leave the fucking town. They always show the middle of nowhere. But like New Yorkers, are like that. That's the funniest thing. Uh, oh, who who the hell told me this recently? He was making fun of New Yorkers. I don't. What the fuck. It don't come to me. He was just talking about you guys and how like you guys. Oh, all you were telling me, Nate. Nate. Yeah, Nate Borgazzi, where he goes. You guys, oh, I fucking live in the Brook Brooklyn, and it's just like, yeah, a blocking away from your mother. You still go over to her house and fucking wash your wife beaters. It's hilarious. Uh, well, you, I actually was always a suburb kid. I never lived in the city, but you're right. You said something really funny that me and Giannis were talking about the other day when we were talking about the John Starks dunk, and you go like, you guys are the only guys that would call it the dunk in a series and game you lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a great dunk, but that, that's the only thing we got with that team. That, oh, that was, uh, 
So yeah. anyway, I'll get to that. We'll talk about the, we'll, we'll end this with the last dance because that's just, it's, to, it's too phenomenal not to. But um, that memory, and do you remember the time you hit me up and you go, Ferzi, you go, I got this bottle of whiskey. Come to my room. We'll have a couple pops before we go to the Alamo. Dude, me and you talked and we drank the whiskey. And then I was standing with you in front of the Alamo, hammered to the point where I took my shirt off. Remember? I took my shirt. No, we were going to take a picture and you were like, let's do a crazy picture. So I, I, I took a picture of you, dude. I saw a side of you. I, I, I wish I had that picture. Dude, you were like, you, this, you look like a fucking wild man. Oh, dude. And the guy's security guy came out. He's like, guys, get out of here. You got to get out of here. And you were like, no. And then like to make it look okay, we started asking him history questions. Do you remember that? I just think it's so funny. The amount of shit like that that we've been near and we had no interest in even going in it. Like, I've been to San Antonio like 10 fucking times. I've never gone in the Alamo. No, me neither. It interests me historically. I respect what happened there. But the second I see that fucking line full of all those history buffs and those soccer moms holding on to their kids who don't want to fucking be there, I just like, I just don't, I don't have it in me. Oh, no, no. That, I, I've never been in there before, but I, I, I'll never forget being that hammered. And I took the shirt off and I made that face and you go, dude, you go, if that was a poster of a horror movie, I'd go to it. Do you remember that? Yeah, dude, you looked crazy because you were moving so fast, it kind of got a little blurry. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, you had this crazy fucking look, dude. Crazy look. Um, and then, of course, of course. Oh, and this will lead us into the Jordan thing. Duke UNC at Duke. I, I've never seen me, you, Bartnick, Joe Gonzalez. We were all there, and it was bliss from beginning to end. And, dude, did you see that ESPN did a documentary on the Red Panda? Oh, is that – yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. The, I, the what I love is that, that, that we saw her before we, – we, we got to see her when we had no idea who she was. No, we saw her he, on her first tour. He <laughs> – fucking killed i mean for the people that don't know we're talking about there's a woman from japan and they call her the red panda and she rides a unicycle with one leg and kicks up like 20 bowls from her feet and stacks them on her head and it was like people were as into her let me paint the picture a little clearer she has two legs (laughs) and she rides the unicycle but when she needs to stop Dude, you go. She rides the unicycle with one leg. And it's like, holy shit, this bitch got one leg? She's out there on a unicycle? It's like a 40-foot fucking unicycle. She rides it with two legs. And then when she stops, she keeps it. You know how they, how they go back and forth with two legs? She can do that with one leg. And yeah, then no, with her sure. other leg, she's got like these fucking soup bowls oh. on, her, on her toe. And then she kicks them up, and they land on her head. And oh. she starts with like one then she does two, and it goes up to like 11. And when I tell you what this, how much she had the crowd in the palm of her hand and how hard she was killing, it was like we were at Duke, Carolina, in Camden Indoor Arena, and during halftime, she came out, and not only did she keep the energy going, she took it to another level. Dude, my yeah. ears were ringing by the time I got out of there. I felt like I went to a fucking Judas Priest concert. It was, it, was, it was one of the most spectacular things to witness. It was almost like an amazing show in an amazing show. Dude, that was so fun. Let me paint the picture clearer. She wasn't an amputee. Yeah, she had two legs. 
he, she said that her dad would watch her the first time and notice that she could do more with like that she could probably do it with one foot, which was so ridiculous. And he would go and watch her. And then it just got more bowls and bowls and bowls. And she would throw them up and everyone's like, no way, no way. And she'd have like 15 of them and she would stack them up. And the music was intense. Dude, it's epic. You got to check it out. The Red she Panda. Could, her, her performance, she could sit down with Coach K and, and be, be like, you know, at the table and, and deserve to be there. <laughs> That's a great vision. Coach K, there's no way he wasn't looking at her going like, if she was doing that with a basketball, I'd have, because she was delivering in front of everybody. That's the thing, too. It's like yeah. what she's doing, there's no do-over, and the plates are going to break, the bowls are going to break, and all of that stuff. Like, she got up to like eight or nine. I'm like, dude, you know, go back to the room. You're done. You won. Yeah. You know, she just kept doubling down. No, like, you're right. There could have been ceramic broken all over that court. Then a the guy's got to come out and sweep it. It could have just been a fucking disaster. Um, Joe Bartnick, like, the, Joe Bartnick, if you guys don't know Joe, just look up his face. He was like this. He's like, he, he, was, yeah. he was the happiest. The happiest I've ever seen him. Yeah. He, he said, and, and he was, like, humbled when he came in. He was smiling, and he was sort of, like, ducking his head. He, he couldn't believe he was there. It was the closest thing that I felt to a religious experience in a, during sporting event. And I'm not even, I'm not even joking. It yeah. felt like you were walking into a sacred church and then everybody's waiting. And then coach K comes in last and all the fans start doing this. And you're just like, this is nuts. And Leitner was in there. David Robinson was in there. JJ Redick was in there. All yeah, Redick was a couple rows in front of us. Everybody was a couple rows in front of behind. The place is so small. Yeah, it felt like you were in this like kind of big high school gym. Everybody stood up. People are looking at each other, going, "How amazing!" It was. It so was the whole game. They're the whole game. Um, last dance. Have you? Because I'm still two away. Did you watch? Uh, did you watch all ten? Oh, of course I did. Of course yeah. I did, and that that should be required viewing. Yes. For anybody who ever wants to achieve anything in life, and you should go back and you should continue to watch it. And I know that there's been some criticism from, you know, documentarians because Jordan had, um, you know, final edit and all that. And that's what I think made it amazing because for the, you know, I've been watching the guy since he was at Carolina. So for close to 40 years, other people have been telling his story and he finally got to tell his story. And I, I don't know what these people are upset about because they're, the way they perceived him was I think through eyes of envy and I had no idea that he was that great of a teammate that he was that coachable yeah that like in 96 he gets into a fight with Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson kicks him out of practice and he leaves you know because yeah, no. Phil's the coach like they they came up with Michael Jordan and his supporting cast and then he started saying it then they act like he came up with it but like um he just seemed like that, all that stuff, going to go see Rodman and Rodman coming up saying, do you have a cigar? He didn't apologize, but he understood the psychology of what he was doing. It was, um, it was fascinating, man. And yeah. he, he uh, apparently his daughter said that, you know, he didn't want this to come out for a while and he was very worried about it. And now he had an article out recently that said he could breathe a sigh of relief because everybody knew him as the Gatorade guy and everybody knew him as the McDonald's guy smiling and kids hero. And he was afraid it was going to come out that he was an asshole. And that's why he cried in that interview where he goes, look, 
I know when people watch this, they're going to think I'm a jerk and I'm not a nice guy, but there's a certain way to play to win. And if you want to win, you got to do it. He started crying and he goes, all right, break. And he took it out. But um, I actually, I got to be honest with you. That has nothing to do with him. People thinking he's a jerk. That's people just envious of him. And like, yeah, you know, cause I talked to a few people and they were just going like, well, I mean, that's like, uh, he's kind of like really intense. I'm like, no, that's what you need to do to do what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is the pro like, I, I like I, him better. I actually like him better after it. Like the first cut, like when it, you know, in like episode three, when his teammates were like, Oh dude, he came in and we were like, but then I just realized I'm like, no man, like he's the big, he's the reason why. And Scotty, here's the other thing too. Scotty Pippen as great of a player as he is. And I think Scotty Pippen is an all time great. He's one of the greatest on ball defenders of all time, but Scotty Pippen, what Jordan did for him, I think Jordan made him one of the best players to ever live because Jordan, he just had that guy next to him that did it, man, that, that did it and, and kind of wanted – like, dude – You couldn't be around a guy like that. That's like if you're on – like a more simplistic version in our life is if a buddy of yours goes on stage and he tries out a new bit, you know, night after night after night, and he's, he's building his act, it's like it's, it, it pulls you along – with him and it's like even if you're not as good as he are you're gonna get better and what he did how committed he was and how bad he wanted to win every single year he's if if it's the the level of leadership that he showed because the thing about it is 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 when the top dog drags ass then he sets the tone if yeah. he's busting his ass then everybody else has to bust ass if he's listening to the coach everybody else has to listen to the coach i mean that that sort of dynamic exists in everything from sports to the military to like literally if you do a movie if the lead in the movie is being a fucking prima donna jerk off i mean that trickles all the way down to like a fucking pa because everybody's yeah. just miserable but if the person who's starring is is a sweetheart then then it's it's like the greatest hang ever i i uh I was in the green room. I'm going to bring this into comedy real quick. I was in the green room and I brought a buddy of mine that I like. He's from Philadelphia and he's a guy I can talk sports with, but he can hang. He smokes cigars. He kind of knows how I am. I know how he is. And it, and it was what you did with people that opened for you guys that you thought were funny, but guys that you understood. And uh, he goes after the weekend, he goes, man, he goes, I just kind of, the way you talk to the people in the green room and the way you handle your business is good. And I, I mean, I would never be an asshole anyway, but I went on the road and I learned from you. And when me and you would drive and go, hey, man, try that bit tonight. Try that bit tonight. And you go, yeah. And I go, you try that bit tonight. And we were like, we would always do that and, and just say anything. And, you know, um, I, I think Jordan was the guy going like, you're doing that. That's what you got to do. And that's what eventually got them over the hump with the Pistons. I just loved watching how he interacted with the security. And you'd see him on the road and he would be joking around to people you know, driving by in the golf carts and stuff. Like he was like a really like, um, I mean, I know he worked, you know, worked those guys real hard and practice and stuff, but like, how could you get upset as a professional player? You get to play with the greatest player of all time and he's going to bring the best out in you. Um, especially with athletes at that level, I think it'd be a no brainer that you, you would want to, uh, you well, want to play with them. The, the, the fact that he said, I punched the smallest guy. What the fuck am I doing? And I was wrong. 
that kind of showed me that like, like cause Steve Kerr was like, yeah, dude, he said some things to me that he shouldn't have said. And he was a real dick. And like, then he actually called him up and bonded with him. That showed me that he wasn't a full on, like that showed me that he was a man, you know, that he was like, well, yeah, look, dude, yeah. we all say shit we shouldn't have said or whatever, but like the media, like just blows shit out of proportion. And there's two things. Um, in the past week with sports, one was Jordan talking about when his dad got murdered. All these years, I didn't know it was two 18-year-old kids. The way they spun that thing, like it was some sort of fucking mob hit, you know? Now I was talking to a buddy of mine who, like, you know, gambles a lot. He goes, dude, they don't whack people over shit like that. And they're not going to kill your dad if you owe him 50 fucking grand. Yeah, especially so, with Jordan's money, too, yeah. yeah. Dude, that's nothing. That's a couple of fucking, yeah, a couple of free throws for him. Yeah. One free throw, right? So um, I was reading this book that Bartnick gave me called The Code. I was just talking to on another podcast about this. And there was this, uh, this infamous hit. Um, what, was, what was the guy's name? Bartuzzi or something like that. He suckered this guy from behind and then pushed him down. The guy fell down and he broke his neck. His career ended and all of that. This kid, Steve Moore. So this book talks about how when shit like that happens, you know, how the sports channels, especially ESPN that doesn't cover hockey, which is, They've just never been able to have a good relationship with the NHL, it seems. Um, they just show the incident. And this book just talks about the soap opera that leads up to it. It's so fascinating where it's just like, so that kid, Steve, hit the captain of the um, Vancouver Canucks. So when you, you know, it was a clean hit, but he really fucked him up. So then with the code, he knows that he's going to have to answer for that, which means that he's, somebody's going to come up to him, drop the gloves, and then he's going to have to, you know, answer the call or whatever they call it. Yeah. So that happened in that game, but they didn't feel like he got his ass kicked enough. He fought Matt Cook, and I guess Matt Cook worked him over, but not enough. And the Bartuzzi guy was chasing around the ice going, come on, fight me, fight, fight me. He wouldn't. So in the heat of the moment, he sort of like sort of gave him a hook from behind or whatever. But like, anyway, it's a long story, but like what I've just noticed with so much of this shit when you watch – Anything like a, a clip on Twitter, or you watch something on sports channels or anything like that, is that they, they're just showing you the end of the movie. They don't show you what led up to it. Mm-hmm. And then they just, they act like that three seconds is the whole story. I don't know. It's just weird just because like, I always saw that, that, you know, that hit Bartuzzi made. And I was always like, oh, when I would watch it, it was just so fucking ugly. And now to see the whole thing that led up to it, it sort of made more sense. Oh, okay. That's a weird example to do for the Jordan thing, but no, no, but I know what you mean because you see, <laughs> no, but you, you see things and you're like, Oh, you don't know why. And a good example of what you're saying is um, Odell Beckham, when he lost his head against the Carolina Panthers against that Josh Norman guy, and he just ran into him full speed head. They basically said before the game, they brought a bat out and they said, we're going to get you. And I think they might've even been saying some, uh, some other slurs about, you know, other things about him and and yeah. personal things about him and then they brought a bat out and they're doing that and he just they knew how to get in his head and then he looked like this lunatic where the the, the, the guy calling the game i don't know collinsworth or phil sims is going like what's this guy doing and then it all comes out afterwards so it's the same thing like we obviously we don't know that um yeah, i've always felt whenever i see somebody snap i always think like well, i wonder what that other guy said or what happened in, earlier in the game like something happens 
I mean, look, people can snap, right? But generally speaking, with athletes and stuff, uh, you know, if you're a fucking head case, they usually figure they weed most of it out by the pro level. And then the last thing is they wait to see who Verzi calls, and then they go, all right, this guy's a head case. (laughs) I love a fucking – I mean, Vince Young – you know, Moss, but Moss worked out. Iverson, Iverson worked out, but some of them are just bad. Yeah, I love a head case. No, no, I wouldn't throw Moss in that. Moss totally worked out. No, you had, uh, oh man, you had so many, so many. Dude, I've called some. I've called some with the Knicks. I remember when Carmelo Anthony went there. Yeah. And he was saying, oh my God, Carmelo's going to do that. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. And I'm just like, he is a great individual player, but he's not going to. He, he looks like he smokes weed and eats fucking Cheetos is what I said. And, and, and we'll fucking, he'll, he'll hit like 90 fucking three-pointers in a row, but he ain't going to play defense. No. Defense wins championships. You have not solved the problem. You can have a guy on your team like that and win, but you have to have these other pieces, which you didn't have. No, Carmelo was a number two if you had a bona fide star in front of him and he could come in and shoot like that. Yeah. Um, so I want to thank you, by the way, dude. Like I gotta say, Carmelo Anthony is one of the greatest – pure shooters in the history of the game though well Carmelo Anthony is also one of the best you know uh, like to get to the hole man he could he could he could get to the hole like in any but like you know when he's in his prime he was great um what was I gonna say dude the, the I'll say this special is is crushing and I wanted I talked to Pete Davidson and I wanted to talk to you uh a bunch of people at Comedy Central I don't know what happened some things are going on over there I'm not gonna badmouth them they gave me a chance but uh they released it and it's amazing what happens when a special could be seen. <laughs> yeah. Well, no comedy center was the thing was they were, they were part of a different era and it just took them a minute to catch up because the internet grew slowly with, with show business. And then all of a sudden it just took off like lightning and it kind of happened to all aspects of entertainment. The first people that felt its power negatively was the music industry i think with napster and i think everybody should have looked at that being like what just happened in the music business is going to happen to a lot of aspects of this and the people that was that jimmy iovine guy i remember him seeing that that thing with dr dre where he was like what is that i don't want to be the last guy out here trying to sell a cd people who think that way you don't get you don't get caught flat-footed and i just think ah that they got caught a little flat-footed because it's it's a terrible thing if that channel goes away for comedians. I mean, Comedy Central has done a, a, so many things for me, so I I hate to see the shakeup that went over there. And there's a lot of people over there that I was friends with that kind of got caught up in the, um, I guess, no, listen. like Ann Harris. I've known her forever. You know, she's been at so many tapings of so many things that I've done. Um, all the way back, I think, to the half hour I did in, like, 2003. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's a sad thing. Well, you know, if I'm being honest here, uh, I feel as though more could have been done with my special, and now it is, and I don't want anybody to lose their job. And I, I'm glad that uh, Comedy Central is still around. I think they will be fine. But for whatever reason, things are going well now with it, and I'm, I'm happy. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm not. But anyway, um, I wanted to just say congratulations to you too on um, the King of Staten Island because the trailer is amazing. I'm hearing you're amazing in it. Did you like? Uh, did you? I know you liked working with Petey Boy there, but how was uh, everybody else? Judd and everybody, you loved it or what? Oh yeah, no, it was. 
It was like summer camp, man. We just sort of all the all of everybody playing the firefighters, both real firefighters and actors. We all became we became, just became a crew. And uh, we're still supposed to all get together. Like, that's what kind of sucked because we were all looking forward to like, you know, we were supposed to do South by Southwest. All those people were going to come down. We were going to hang, smoke some cigars. Like we really bonded. And then to get to work with like Marissa Tomei and, and Steve Buscemi and, and like, they're just, it's, it's hard to describe when you're across from them, what they convey can convey with just looks or arch of an eyebrow and stuff. And then so much stuff that they were doing that then when you watch the final cut of it, that you didn't even see them doing because, you know, you got your lines in your head, there's people moving around, you're trying to stay focused, but there's, you know, little things become big things on the screen. And, uh, the, the two of them were, were like just masters at it. So, uh, I do remember when we did the, uh, when they were trying to get the looks right, it was the first day and they were just taking pictures. I remember when they, they, they put that wig on Marissa, she just showed up with it and had the glasses on and they were doing the photo shoot. She didn't even look like her anymore. Like just like disappeared into the character of Pete's mom. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to hang with this, man. I'm going to get. I remember, I was there. I remember. Yeah. Oh, you were there. That's right. You were there that day. I was just sitting there going, you know, it's a comic. You know, you get on a movie set, you start thinking, like, when are they going to wake up and just be like, okay, kid, the fucking dream's over. Get the fuck out of here. We got to get a pro in here. Um, I, was, uh, I was sitting next to uh, uh, a guy that I love and look up to, Ray Romano. And uh, it was right after he did The Irishman. And I lean over to him and I go, all right, dude. So uh, you're, you're working with go, Scorsese, Pesci, and Pacino. I go, Ray, how fucking nervous were you? And he just fucking started laughing. Because it's, it's like, that, that is like, I, I mean, I guess you just build it up. What's his name says you just do it. What's his name said? Uh, no, you would, Harrison Ford. You go like, did you get nervous? Like, what are you doing? Harrison Ford goes, no, when you do it, you just do it. <laughs> and just that straight like Harrison yeah. Ford he goes you know you just get the script and you just do it but I couldn't imagine being on a on a scene with Al Pacino you know what I mean like Al Pacino to me is the fuck is Jordan for me and it's yeah. like I couldn't imagine being alongside of him or saying something to him in a script and just being like not fucking freaking out being like are you sure I should be here you know well I got to work with them uh a number of years he would go out of his way to make you feel comfortable he's a sweetheart he's a sweetheart of a guy for me he's the goat but uh i know, yeah, people, I know. he, he had a, he had eight years where he screamed but you know i i i still he's the guy for me i i feel like those movies he was going through a transition to what he's doing now like he was sort of killing off the old him and yeah. then into this new thing and you know how people are. They don't want to watch. They want you to stay the same. They don't want you to change. It's weird. So you have to plow through all of that. And then, you know, people like to take pot shots at you. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I never understood why people do, do that. Well, I do, but I don't want to fucking pontificate about it. But um, I think he's he's doing some of his his his, his work is uh, Kevorkian. His work is uh, Joe Paterno. Um, my mother-in-law is watching that that. Uh, Amazon Prime show that he's doing, saying he's unbelievable. Oh, in I it. heard Hunters is unbelievable. Yeah, where they're getting these ex Nazis and they're yeah, dude, I gotta watch that. Um, but anyway, man, thank you so much. I don't want to keep you. I know we went longer than we should have, dude. That's no, um, all right. Fine. 
Thank you uh, so much. Going off my emotions again. I'm fine, Paul. Not enough over here. Just, uh, just uh, <laughs> congrats on the King of Staten Island. Check out the Monday Morning Podcast. I know you guys already are. Um, and congratulations. Right, Paul. Here's, here's my old school uh, NFL thing. I always try to get Paul to learn the history of sports. The man simply doesn't care about anything before 1986. All right, if the basketball sneaker didn't have a little pump on it, like the Reebok pumps, he considers it the olden days. You got to read about this guy, Lou, Lou the Toe Groza, for the Cleveland Browns, the original Cleveland Brown. He's the reason that the kicking game became important in the NFL, because up until he came along, no one could hit beyond 40 yards. And he routinely could hit beyond 40 yards. He could actually hit a 50-yarder. And he was an offensive tackle, and he kicked straight on. Okay. And, the, and you got to remember, the, the goal post was right on the goal line. So if they got to your 42-yard line, Lou Groza could take three points and, and put it on the board. And what happened was the Browns, they, they were in the, uh, the AAFC, All-American Football Conference, and they were fucking killing it. They won all four titles. And the NFL was like, ah, it's a fucking Mickey Mouse league. They came in the first year in the NFL and they won the title uh, and, and, and basically shut up all the naysayers on a last-second field goal by Lou Groza. And what happened was the next six years they went to the NFL championship game every single year, won three out of six. And um, people started crunching numbers trying to figure out why, how, how come they keep getting to the big dance. And they found out that Cleveland had won 15% of their games because – of Lou Groza kicking fucking field goals. And then after that, it became like an important thing. And there's some historians that argue that that 1950 title game where they beat the, the former Cleveland Rams, the LA Rams, with a last second field goal, Otto Graham drove him down with like a minute something left, like fucking Tom Brady, right? They say that was the greatest game of all time, not the 58 Colts versus Giants. But the reason why the NFL said that's the greatest game is because they didn't want to give it up to the Browns because they sort of embarrassed them. That was sort of like the oh, Jets beating the Colts. Right. The NFL beating the NFL. That was like the All-American Football Conference beating the NFL. It, w it wasn't a good look for their league. So the toe, the toe. <laughs> Lou the toe grows. And if you see this guy, he looks like he should have been on the Sopranos. Oh, dude, I have a, um, I have a, I have a distant uncle who's living in Miami right now. And he's, he's a verse. He's, he's, he's my uncle from my, my grandmother's side. My, my great, great uncle. He's like 80 years old and he's in the ring of fame at uh, the Redskins. He played, he, and he played, he was an awesome. told me that. Yeah. And uh, he's, uh, he's related to me. He's in the, uh, he was a all-star two years and he played with, uh, he played under Lombardi and he's in his 80s. Wait, you're telling me. I went to a Redskins-Patriots game in Washington, D.C. this year. If I looked up, there was somebody named Verzi? No, it's not Verzi. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's on the other side, my grandmother's, my grandmother's side. It's Gabagai, Gabagoo. Yeah. What's, his, what's but, his name? But I'm going uh, to say, Vincent, something i got to show you. It's nuts. It's, That's it's amazing. And when you look at him, he looks like, you know, he's older with, like, gray hair, and he's, like, 80. But when you look at him, you're like, oh, yeah, dude, that dude played my aunt, my, my aunt in Denver that you met. She goes, Paul, you know well, my aunt. 80, he probably played. He played uh, in the 60s. He played in the 60s. For yeah, the he played in the 60s. He would have been played. 22 in 1960. Yeah, I think he played from like 58 to like 67 or something like that. And um, my Aunt Grace from Denver, who you met and came out to the show, she goes, hey, Paul, you know that we have a, 
we have a family member who played for the Redskins and she showed me a picture and I was like, oh my God, and I looked them up and it's all true. So I'll send it to you, but it's pretty amazing. Right, 58 to 67 NFL titles. Colts, Colts, Eagles, Packers, Packers, Bears, Browns, Packers, Packers, Colts. Wow. No, Packers, yeah, Packers, Packers. Yeah, I think it stops at Packers. Colts was 68. Yeah, but you don't know the can you do the starting quarterback for each of those teams or no? Uh the winner, yeah, I think so. I can do a lot of them. Yeah, it's crazy. Eagles is hard because they had like Norm Sneed and Son uh, Roman Gabriel and Sonny Jurgensen, so I don't know who was starting that year. Then uh obviously it was Bart Starr. Johnny Unitas would be with the Colts. Bobby Lane the year before was with the Lions. What? Um, uh, oh, you gotta read Bobby, dude. Bobby Lane, dude, he used to show up with like booze on his breath kicking his offensive linemen in the shin if they got sacked. He was a fucking maniac, man. He won, he won three in the 1950s. Um, and I was telling you guys, you, you know, they talk about the Buffalo Bills when they talk about losing the big one. Dude, yeah. thank God they don't count NFL championship games because the New York uh, football giants, I told you this, they lost in 1958, 1959, 61, 62, and 63. They went to the, basically the Super Bowl back then and lost. Yeah, no, you told me that. I was like, well, that's the thing, dude. How winning, like when you're born, really is just, it's the luck of the draw that you were a Giants fan and you were born in 78. It's yeah. 86, 90, even 2000, whatever. You lost one, 2000. Fucking beat the undefeated Patriots in 07. You beat the Patriots again in 11. You get to see four of those championships. Your Who was the quarterback? I got one for you. You'll probably remember. Who was the quarterback of the Giants team that lost the Super Bowl in 2000? Oh, the blonde-haired kid. Oh, fuck. I liked him, too, because he liked to have a couple of pops. He liked to have pops, and he liked to have a cigar. It was more of, like, almost brownish, but it was uh, Kerry Collins. Kerry Collins. I was going to say Kerry Kittles. He was a New Jersey net, though. Kerry, Kerry, Collins. Kerry Collins was – he came to us from the Panthers – and uh, at first, people are like, what are the Giants doing, dude? And he actually, he actually did, uh, he did real good, man. Smoked sticks. He liked to smoke dude, sticks. Here's another thing. If, if, if you go up and you, you look up these old school guys, I'm trying to try to pull up this guy's name. Um, you see all of these, uh, uh, where the fuck is it? Come on, man. I got to reopen it here. I got to get this guy's name here. Marion Motley. Was an, was a, what a great name. Was a running back for the, the original Browns and just knew the game and everything and would be apply for a head coaching job, and they just wouldn't give it to him because he was black. Oh, yeah, you were telling me that. Well, this is a running back, and then, like, um, and then the people who got the job before him was crazy. And then that guy, that Briscoe dude, the quarterback for the Broncos, Marlon Briscoe or something like that. Um, the hell was his name? I think, yeah, Marlon Briscoe. He, he like... If you watch him play, the highlights when they let him play, the first African-American to start in a professional football game, dude, you see the modern-day NFL. You're seeing Randall Cunningham, Michael Vick. You're seeing all that. You're seeing wow, the what year? What year? 68. Flicking his wrist and the ball just fucking going. The, and first, it was, per and the first person that I ever saw flick their wrist like it was a Nerf ball and almost have it look was, was Vick. Uh, no, 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 Randall Cunningham. Yeah. So this guy, it was um, like, if you really look at that stuff and you, you look at the players and their qualifications and you watch the highlight film, 
you just see that there was this, the NFL had an arrested development in the progress of the game for like, I, you know, 30 years. Yeah. Like the game we're watching since, you know, maybe the two, mid-2000s or whatever. Um, really, in like the last 10, 15 years. Like that game could have came about in like the 70s. It's really – or the 60s. I mean, they did, to be honest with you, from day one, they just let whoever's the best fucking guy play. I mean, that shit would have been happening, like, way back in the day. It's, yeah, it's dude, really – it's really – it's it's sort of uh, – it's kind of heartbreaking to read about, to be honest with you, but it's, it's, it is fascinating. Dude, if they let black guys in the NFL in the 30s and 40s, half of the guys that played would never have played. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and that's why a lot of the stats back then, you know, specifically in, like, baseball – you just can't break those records because, you know, like I always say, whenever I argue you guys with you guys about Babe Ruth and shit like that, it's just like I always go to the, the last guy to hit 400 was Ted Williams in 1941. No one's ever done it since, okay? But previous to that, it happened like 26, 27 times. One time in the late 1800s, five guys did it in one year. All hit over 400. I mean, it was, it was, it was a beer league. What about Barry Bonds hitting 73 that year? Yeah, and, and no, but no, you're missing the point here. No, no, I know what you're saying. My, my thing is, you look at Babe Ruth, the condition this guy was in and what he did at the ballpark, where he could show up and either throw a fucking no-hitter or hit fucking 10 home runs that day, but Bo Jackson couldn't. Oh, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson couldn't come anywhere. Bo Jackson's physique, his gifts – yeah. Could not do that in 1989 in baseball, but in 1916, 17, 18, 19, Babe Ruth could do I mean, come on, man. <laughs> uh, turn into a whole other sports podcast. I know. I love doing this to Yankee fans. It's one of my favorite things ever, going after the Babe. It's one of my favorite things to do, which I totally respect, I by the way. And I'm glad we sold them to you guys and we went through that 86 years because it was great for baseball as much as we were on the suffering end of it. Those curses and suffering fans. Like, I got to tell you something, Paul. One of the great enjoyments I'm going to have as a sports fan is watching the Knicks win a championship. Oh. And watching you and Jerry Ferrara and Rappaport, all of you fucking guys, oh. Spike Lee, all you guys crying. It's going to be the greatest thing I ever, like, because I can relate. I can relate to that. My son wants it so bad, too. Lucas is like, you know, he knows how bad they are, and he just he's waiting for it, too. Lucas is going to be – I said to Lucas the other day, I go, Lucas, what are you going to do when the Knicks win? And he just goes, oh, dad, oh, it's over. <laughs> I have to tell you, the, the fact that the NBA just accepts the fact that the New York City basketball team is, is as inept as it is, yeah. Where the NFL will be like, we got to get a team in fucking L.A. This is a huge TV market. The fact that the NBA doesn't allow these stupid pylon teams and all of that shit. Like, I, I mean, I don't know what they can do, but I would be concerned if I was running things. I guess the ratings are there, so they don't really doesn't really matter. But that's, this, what, that's, that's the problem. All the legendary basketball players. Yeah, see, it's about what you just said, though. You nailed it because it's about the dollars. And unfortunately, the Knicks are still a hard ticket. They still make all the money. The garden's always packed. And until fans stop going, until fans stop going, it's just that's the problem. Yeah, because 
I just watched Rappaport's uh, thing again, uh, When the Garden Was Eaten. Yeah. I love that documentary. Dude, how great. I really loved when, uh, when Jordan said just the garden. Like, Jordan, like, is just, that was his, he told somebody else, he goes, dude, if I could play here always, like, he just loved it, you know? It's a, yeah. I love oh, it's, I, it's, a, it's a special place, Paul. You know that. You've been there. You've done it. That second time in that room, in, that second time in the round was one of the greatest sets and nights of my life. And I have a picture of the ceiling in black and white when I'm on stage. And it's like just that ceiling. And dude, look at what happened in that place. Ali Frazier, multiple times. Uh, Tyson fought in there. Sinatra uh, sang inside Sinatra, of a boxing ring when he came Sinatra, back. Yeah, like Sinatra is like, you know, so what happened? How about Billy Joel? Billy Joel does like one show a month there. It's just sold out. That's what he does. I mean, oh, yeah, guy. dude. No, Billy Joel. Remember the first time I did the garden with you? I did that joke. I go, how sad is it that when you see the banner 12 up here, it's <laughs> the amount of Billy Joel instead of Nick's wins. <laughs> because Billy Joel has a banner there where he sold it out 12 times in a row, and they actually put it up in the Raptors. But uh, that's Billy Joel's. That's incredible. Has, he, Billy Joel has a residency there yearly. And uh, him and what's his name? Him, Elton John. That's like their backyard. Like that's where they just go. And it's like, but like, dude. I'm holding out hope that Billy Joel just once lets Liberty DeVito come back and play drums with them. He was one of my favorite drummers. He's such an amazing drummer. And uh, he hasn't played with them for years. But did you ever see that Howard Stern interview with Billy Joel? And Billy's just sitting there playing piano? No, but somebody just said to me, what do you think about Billy Joel? Did something happen or no? What do you mean? What do I think about him? Somebody, no, somebody said something. What do you think about Billy Joel? And I'm just wondering if something any- happened. If something happened to my wife, would have already known she would have came in here. Okay. Now I got to look it up. There better not be no, something. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up now. But somebody said, hey, I can't what? fucking believe this. I've never seen that guy live. I've always meant to. I've just been fucking working. I got to see him. Now he's always in New York and I'm in LA. Look at this. As we're talking about it, that's him at the garden. That's him at the garden right there. And uh, no, dude, he just he just goes to the garden and it's like him like he works out there. <laughs> He's just like, uh, what do you That's guys want? Doing a set going down to the cellar. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I never saw Billy Joel. I never saw Elton John. I got to see those. I, I never saw Elton John this past year. Uh, me. Oh, at Salston, I had to leave. I had to go to uh, Nashville. I never saw the Foo Fighters, dude. I saw them at the L.A. Forum. They fucking uh, dude, they're my. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're amazing. Um, yeah, you got to see him. You got to see him. See, did me. you ever see Nirvana or no? When when he was alive or no? Rest his soul. No, I never saw any of those big bands. I've never seen it. But those bands all knocked my bands off the charts. And I by then I was doing stand up, and I um I liked Soundgarden. I liked Alice in Chains, and I really wish I saw them. But I I saw uh. Who did I see? I, I don't even know. I don't think I ever saw Chris Cornell live either. Even Dude, when he was, I saw the Smashing Pumpkins at the garden, right? And all of a sudden, like, the lights go down. And I took, I brought my younger brother who plays, you know, drums, guitar. He does, he does piano now, whatever. And he's just sitting there, and it gets dark. And they had this two, black wall, right? This black wall. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it opens a crack. And when it opens, a white light is, like, really, really bright coming through. And you don't see anything. And then all of a sudden you see Billy Corgan's silhouette and he's holding a guitar and then it opens a little more. And then you see him standing there and everyone's going nuts and he waits for it to come down. And then he just takes two steps 
and the place is going nuts. And then he takes two more steps and then he takes two more steps and then he just goes into, oh my God, what song did he go? And the place just went and they just blew the play. It was great. And actually everybody said that saw the Smashing Pumpkins in the 90s said it was a shit concert. Everybody that was there goes, yeah, dude, I saw them in 95. They sounded like shit. He was screaming too much and it was bad. And I guess that was like the known thing about them. And dude, it was, Bill, it was, I went with Mazzilli, my brother. My brother, he goes, my brother's crying and shit's hilarious. <laughs> he goes, dude, when that came out and he played that, I started crying, dude. Yeah, it was, it was. Uh, that, that sounds was a, like some wrestling shit, the way he was working the crowd. Dude, he worked the crowd like that and he knew yeah. and he just milked it. And then he went right into the, and it was just like, you know, uh, yeah, the fucking song I love too. I can't think of the name. Uh, you know, a killer in me. Level of poise to pull that off. Oh, if yeah. I ever walked out and people were screaming like that, I would feel stupid. Because <laughs> you know what it is? Because <laughs> I know what I really am. Everybody, relax. It ain't that big a deal. It's gonna be some shit and dick jokes. All right, dude. I gotta, I gotta head out here, man. All right, dude. Thanks for I'll, being I'll on. Let the you show. wrap it up this time. Yeah, no, no. That was, uh, that was great. Thanks for being on the show, and uh, I'll see you soon. <laughs> I know. I, I hope this thing, you know, I'm really concerned about people with small businesses and stuff. So I'm, I'm I just, well, I think I told you that uh, not only did me and Stacy just get the blood work back that we have antibodies, um, Lucas and Sophia too. So uh, we, whatever that means, but we all had it and we're just hoping that that means, you know, one yeah. doctor was like, eh, it doesn't mean anything. Still distance. The other doctor was like, it's good to have. So who knows, you know? But, yeah. I would think that's good to have, but then you were saying they don't know how long you, you, they don't know. Here's There's the thing. So much misinformation because I, I was just texting with somebody and she goes, yeah, I, I, evidently I had it. So now I'm like the golden goose. And I was like, I don't think that means you can just run around licking fucking stop signs. No, that's the thing, dude. They don't know anything. You know, it's, it, they don't know anything, dude. And you know what, Paul? Neither do we. And that's a great place to end here. No, I know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you later, brother. All right, dude. We'll All see right. you. Bye. Thank dude. you. Bye, yep. everybody.